With more than 60 episodes in the game, KP and PR are still dropping gems. Secrets continues to bring you the hot fire that you have grown to expect. Listeners describe Secrets as the ultimate receipt for motivating the underrepresented employee to be bold in achieving their career aspirations in corporate America. And season four will definitely not disappoint as they deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get your market value. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season four. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, what's going on today, my brother? Hey, KP. I am so excited about season four, man. We've been doing this for a minute, and I can't believe we're already at season four. But as we talk to so many within our Secrets community of practice, we realize that many of them have been walking around feeling like they are the ones that are crazy. Yeah, all the time. (laughs) But they're not. We're here to tell you, you are not crazy. The damn system is what's crazy. Yeah, it sure is. And Ricky, today, I thought it'd be a good idea to hone in on the tech industry. Because we hear so much about the tech industry. And as we all know, this is the future of America. And shit is not good when you look at the news, right? <laughs> I mean, all these stories that are coming out with these disgruntled Black employees, female employees, all these employees just having to deal with so much shit and talking about how crazy it is in the tech industry. Yeah, look, KP, it is wild, man. I mean, it's it, and that's just an understatement, right? Yep. Because we're only talking about the stuff that we hear. It's a whole bunch of stuff out there that we just don't hear, and it's almost out of sight, out of mind. And it's almost like living in a really good neighborhood and you don't hear sirens right. and you don't hear stuff. You're like, oh, this is great. You right. know? And then when you finally hear something, you're like, this can't be true. This can't be yeah, true. This, or not where I live, not, right? right? But we're, we're here to tell you, you're not crazy. This stuff is wild. And today we have our brother on here today, Alan Stein, yes, sir. who is ready to take the lid off of what is really going on. Now, Alan, we talk to Alan all the time, right? We're not making this shit up. <laughs> like, that's all I got to say is Alan has worked for so many big name tech companies, and he's seen firsthand how BIPOC and women are really viewed by those companies, meaning he's been in the room. Been in the room. <laughs> okay, so this is about to get extremely real and probably uncomfortable for a few folks, right? <laughs> but welcome to Secrets, Alan, man. What is up? Thank you, guys. And I got to tell you, you are the only the second person ever to call me brother. My sister Robin calls me brother. You guys are the only other people that call me brother. And I feel very complimented about that. So I appreciate that. Everybody in the village is our brother, our sister. Exactly. That's the way we roll. And so in today's episode, we'll talk with Alan about his experiences as a white man advocating for BIPOC and female employees in tech. Um, We'll also discuss why he decided to start his own firm placing BIPOC and female employees in tech. As always, we'll provide some receipts, and these receipts will be about representation levels of BIPOC and female employees in tech. And we'll close out with secrets from Alan on what you can do to land a job and a potential career in the tech industry. So again, welcome, Alan. A lot of stuff we're getting ready to cover, man, a lot of stuff. So, So let's just jump into this. So Alan, we start out by letting our listeners 
get to know who they're talking to, right? To be able to kind of understand the fabric of the DNA, you know, within uh, individuals who are now within our secrets community of practice. Can you take just a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on your upbringing, educational background, and your corporate leadership journey? Who is Alan? Sure. I was born in New York City, grew up in suburban Long Island, pretty privileged, pretty safe area, never worried about the law or anything like that. My dad never went to college. He started in the mailroom, worked his way up to be a VP at an investment bank in the city. My mom didn't go to college initially, but then she went back to school and she graduated actually the same year that I did. We both graduated from state schools in New York. I graduated from SUNY Binghamton. She graduated from Queens College. And that was my upbringing. I started working when I was 14 years old, essentially to buy $1,400 worth of baseball cards, including a Mike Schmidt rookie card, which I got right here, which is, if it was in mint condition, it'd be worth a lot. But there you go. After that, went to state school. After state school, I've had 29 jobs in my 33-year career. But I have been on Wall Street. I've been in venture capital. I read the book Moneyball by Billy Bean. And I was like, I want to be Billy Bean. Or it was by Michael Lewis about Billy Bean. And I went down to the baseball winter meetings, came back with jobs working for the New York Mets and the Toronto Blue Jays, minor league affiliates. Realized that the pay sucked. The work-life balance sucked. I went back to business school and I was able to afford $138,000 for my MBA at a top MBA school in New York, Columbia Business School. It's actually top in the world. And it happened to be in New York. I was looking for New York. From there, I wanted to get into marketing. I networked into American Express. Great place to start my career. I was there for six years. I got promoted, but it was slow. People told me that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I like to move fast. So eventually, I got tired of moving slowly. I submitted resumes five times to Google, and not until through my network did someone actually take a look at me. I still had to go through interviews, 11 rounds of interviews later, got hired at Google, worked there for six years, got canceled. Go into that story if you guys want. Then after that, I figured out things, worked at a couple of different startups. After those startups, I realized that big tech pays more and treats people better and easier work-life balance. So I went to Facebook through a network. I was at Facebook for a year and a half. After that, I went to Tableau. Tableau was acquired by Salesforce two months later. Then I was part of the Salesforce Ohana, which I don't think they call it that anymore because it has some controversial tones. It's family in Hawaiian. I was at Facebook for two and a half years. I spoke up about some things that I didn't think were cool. Didn't work out so well, but I wound up leaving with a very nice agreement. We were all very happy with the situation. And then I started my business, Kadima, which I can go into a little bit later. But what I'm doing with Kadima is essentially accelerating the careers of underrepresented, underestimated, and underpaid talent. And on a personal note, I'm a New Yorker all my life. I've been to 46 different countries, but I've been in New York for all of my life, except for three months at Delaware. And I live with my three dogs, three birds, one phenomenal wife, and uh, three kids. Three kids, two dogs, three birds, one wife. And I really, really appreciate, you know, the story because, you know, what you talk about, like that journey is absolutely, 
you know, why that's important for some of our uh, secrets, you know, listeners to be able to hear. Because again, I'm telling you guys, this cat, it knows what he's talking about. He has been in the trenches. And this is why we are going to be leveraging, you know, his mind share, (laughs) you know, doing this conversation today. And as you heard, I mean, you've worked for a lot of blue blood tech companies, right? In that introduction. So we know you know what's going on. And we're just going to jump into the deep end of the pool and just get started. One thing that we do know is like white solidarity is real. There's a lot of pressure to fall in line. You know, if you speak up and you see things falling off the rails or see something that's not right and you want to speak up about it, then you get all this pressure, you know, to fall back in line and just and toe the line. So why did you decide to fight for giving uh, BIPOC employees an opportunity? So I never heard that term white solidarity because I just thought it was what everybody does because I was a white dude and 90% of the people were there. So just white people do. So I'm someone who, like, first off, I grew up in New York, very diverse. Even though my neighborhood growing up was not diverse, I was exposed to diversity. Went to Chinatown, went to the city, went to Harlem, went to Bronx Zoo, we went to things like that. So I was always exposed to that. My second boss was a woman. I've just always, like, I've never really thought differently about people. Then I wound up in companies. And during 2013, I was at Google during the Trayvon Martin murder. And there were lots of conversations about it. Lots, well, not lots, because there weren't a lot. But there were a couple of Black leaders that were kind of not paraded out, but they were brought out to talk about their story and their situation. Great leaders. And I've actually become friends with them. But there was like a burden on those leaders because they were doing big jobs to do, leading all of ad sales. And now they're being asked to talk on behalf of the Trayvon Martin incident. But I see the talk. I see the conversations occurring. There are conversations that are terms that I've never heard of before. I learned about the term microaggression then. I got involved in a mentorship program called the Sage Mentorship Program, where you, where they were pairing up senior leaders with BIPOC, uh, like more junior BIPOC individuals. And they gave some good training there that was very enlightening and made it very clear that, like, I have a lot of privilege. I happen, like, I got out of college without any student debt and things of that nature. So I see that. It makes tons of sense. I wound up appreciating the privilege that I've been afforded. And then I see that shit doesn't occur afterwards. I've tried to make some changes myself. And not that I'm not asking for kudos on this, but I've gone to multiple different people to approach them of saying, hey, let's get creative and let's go down. Like I have a buddy who will take me down to Howard and I have someone else that'll take me down to Spelman to go recruit people. And the response to me was, you know what? There's only 13% of the population that's black and 50% of the population are women. Go recruit women. I was like, well, can we do the both simultaneously? And he's like, it's too complicated, Alan. And I remember that conversation, like that shit, like that's still like, I remember that from a conversation from 2014 or 15 or something like that. So I hate hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is my biggest pet peeve. And when I see people say something and not do something, I call bullshit on that. It doesn't always work well for me, but I sleep well at night. And it's crazy. I mean, you're thinking about whether it be Trayvon Martin, whether it be you know, George Floyd, you know, whatever nonsense takes place at that time. 
you know, it's almost become common practice to bring in your black leaders or when it was violence against, you know, the Asian community, you bring in your Asian leaders and everyone starts. It's like, again, like our friend Amber says, this performative, right? It, we, we do it because it makes the organization feel good that we're really like listening and this, that, and the other. But when that's over, when you turn the page, that's when we start talking about diversity fatigue. We start talking about we don't really have time to do the work. We'll get that person the next time and we'll come up with something different. So I applaud you for, again, not always being the most popular person, you know, in the room and calling BS, you know, on some of that stuff. I mean, again, it's there are consequences yeah. when you uh, buck yeah. the system. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I felt them not just for that, but just when you call BS on the system, there's a good book that I have behind me calling Choosing Courage. And if you choose courage, like the book tells you that beware of the consequences of that. I was okay with the consequences, but not everybody is. And you got to be prepared to lose your job. So look, man, we spoke a few weeks ago and you said you had a lot of stories to share about the shenanigans in tech, right? Can you tell our listeners what really happened under the hood as you started advocating for employees of color? Like, what did you hear in those private conversations? Like, this is our moment, right? So you can feel free to say what you need to say, because I do think it's going to be beneficial, you know, to some of our individuals who really want to help, but probably sometimes feel like, again, as we say, you're crazy. Like, when you're the only one thinking about doing the right thing and everyone else is not really dedicated to doing the right thing, then you become the eyeball. So just tell us about some of those stories, if you don't mind. One of the companies I was at was talking a lot about all these aspirational goals that they have of increasing the number of Black leaders and women and blah, blah, blah. And then I asked questions of, okay, what's the data? How are we actually doing here? Because they put all these auspicious goals out there, ambitious goals. And then I said it in a nice way. I said it at a all hands across the whole company. A lot of the companies that I work for are very open and transparent. So it was some diversity type all hands or something like that across the whole company. I was like, I asked, I was like, how are we actually doing on these? Since last time we spoke a year ago or six months ago or whatever it was, how did we actually move on these? Like I asked for very specific metrics and they ducked and dived. And then they had people follow up with me after we're like, oh, we'll get you the information. Then they plussed in other people. Then they plussed in other people. There were like eight people on the chain. And then it got like, I raised this to my manager that very early on that I was having this conversation and she was kind of supportive, but not really. And they kept adding people to this meeting and they kept moving the meeting out. And eventually the meeting got canceled. And I was like, fuck, I'm just like done fighting this because obviously you guys don't want to change, but they just made it so hard because they were not moving the numbers and they were just very glitzily like sharing about all the great work they're doing. I was like, whatever. Like I, I have all these t-shirts. Can I do a little show and tell? So I, I got all these t-shirts and it says women belong in all the places where decisions are being made from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Great quote, but they're not like my boss at Salesforce was a woman, white woman, reported into a white dude, 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 reported into Mark Benioff, who's a white dude. So I don't know where those women are. And like, it, it's no blast to Salesforce because the same shit occurred at every company I was at. 
This is on the rocket ship. This was something that's supporting women. This is like when uh, India had issues with uh, their COVID outbreak and they have T-shirts there. And this one really stuck in my craw. Tableau supports black lives. And meanwhile, like I can share the numbers there because Tableau does not break out those numbers in um, externally, I don't believe. But the numbers were not supportive of black lives. If you look at the actual numbers in the breakdown. So anyway, you're getting you're getting me hot and bothered. <laughs> but this is exactly what like this is why when we started having conversations with you, why we probably should have been recording the initial conversations. Right. Because, you know, you start thinking about the statement. And I know it really seems harmless for organizations when they change their LinkedIn uh, profile to be the pride flag or they change it and they say Black Lives Matter or they put up posts about Black History Month or Hispanic heritage, but nothing happens. Like this is like it sounds good and it gets you accolades and maybe magazines or this, that and the other. But when you actually double click on the activity, the numbers don't match what you committed to doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that is the frustrating part. And what makes it worse? Well, there, there's so many things that are make it bad, but the incentives are not aligned. And if they're inse- if people are not accountable for it and are not getting compensated or punished because of the right metrics, they're not going to do it. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but what gets measured improves. And what people are held accountable for will change. Absolutely. Dead nuts on. And I remember um, one of the companies that I worked for, that that was our mantra. You know what? What gets measured gets done. Gets done. <laughs> and if you're not measuring it, it's probably not going to get done. You know, when you're talking about some of those performative acts, I'm just I'm just thinking about, you know, Rick, you mentioned Black History Month and some of those things. Our advice is just stop it. Don't say anything because you're probably doing more harm when you say shit when just not saying anything at all at the end of the day. So just just shut it down for a (laughs) while until you actually have the data to back up and the actions to back up what you're actually putting out there at the end of the day. So, Alan, what was the kind of the ultimate breaking point for you to kind of leave corporate America and branch out on your own? Because it sounds like you dealt with a lot of these things and banging your head up against the wall and finally you just said, screw it. I could go do something else. So it's an interesting story, but essentially I raised issues of inappropriate action at work to someone two levels above me. They did some evaluation of it and they realized that yes their inappropriate action was occurring and they said that it would be rectified and i was like what does rectified mean and they wouldn't share with that me with that share that with me then two days later i started getting put on a pip a performance improvement plan and i as a manager who have put people through pips i understand what this looks like it's not official yet but leader people put things in emails, like as we discussed in our one-on-one, you have not done X, Y, and Z. And meanwhile, like my results were really solid. So it got into this whole, can't go into tons of detail here, but it got to a point where it was getting irreconcilable. They offered me some amount of money. I was not happy with that amount of money. I asked for the amount of money that I thought I was deserved. And they said, no. And I said, well, I'm waiting. Like, then I'll keep, tr- I'll keep uh, hustling here. And then they offered me more. 
And I said, no. And I, they offered me more. They said, no. They offered me the number I wanted. I was like, where do I sign? And then I departed. Alongside that, though, I had mitigated my risk because I knew that this was not a good situation for me. And also, I had started a, a side hustle a year and a half ago called Kadima. So I started building up that business. So I started to have a plan B also. So it was potentially that I wasn't even thinking about that as my plan B. I was actually fully focused on getting another job somewhere else, either within the company I was at or external. And I interviewed for uh, 27 different companies, 44 different interviews. And I wound up using that information actually to learn and grow, which I help with Kadima now. So I was planning for an exit. I saw the writing on the wall. And then when we were able to negotiate to an effective agreement, I was like, where do I sign? And then they show my email down 45 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you do speak you know, about something that we probably should, you know, touch on uh, in another uh, episode in terms of like setting that groundwork, you know, for someone to know that you're being retaliated against, you know, or whatever the case is. Like, so again, for our listeners, if you do feel like you're being retaliated against, what you need to understand is retaliation of any sorts is against the law but it's also against every company's policies, right? And unfortunately, when we start talking about people making you feel crazy, mm -hmm. this is a perfect example of when you know something doesn't mm -hmm. pass the smell test mm -hmm. and then they try to carve you into that corner, like no one's gonna pay you right. to leave if they're right. right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. like at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's some plausible... <laughs> Case. Yes, they gave me a, a lot more money after the initial conversation because they thought that anyway, I can't get into too many details, but spot on, rookie. You know, their loss, you know, is our gain, right? Because again, we need as many, you know, allies and advocates as we can possibly, you know, get. And it's these stories that help other people know what the spot how to prepare themselves for the next, you know, scenario to be able to get our village, you know, right. So do me a favor, if you can, tell us about Kadima Careers, right? I'm excited about this. I know you're doing some great work. What are you trying to do, you know, with it? And before you answer that question, how did you come up with the name and tell us what you're hoping to accomplish with Kadima? What I always loved about my jobs was really like, and I was an operator, I worked in marketing, I worked in finance, but when I managed people, I always took a really special interest in growing and developing them. And I would lose people to other jobs if it was made sense for them. And they came back and even if they didn't, that's fine. But I always liked really growing careers. And I thought about my career going from American Express to Google, where I went up by $62,000. It was like a step function change. And then after that, my compensation increased by 3.3 times after. So I accelerated my trajectory after making that switch. And so what I really think about is accelerating people's trajectory, their compensation, their title. Like, it's not all about the money. People care about different things, but money is probably the proxy for what a company values you at. It's the most calibrated proxy of how much does my company value me? And... I am trying to accelerate people's career, and I've also seen a lot of inefficiencies in recruiting and how talent acquisition occurs. That is, there are systemic biases in there, 
that prevent people without the know, without the knowledge, without the network, and without the connections. And I also like, at first I started the company to focus, and it was also after the George Floyd incident. It was also after um, my wife was reading Ibram Kendi's book about how to be an anti-racist. And all of this stuff came together and I was like, I want to help underrepresented. I first called them URMs because that's what the industry calls them, underrepresented minority. That's what the companies have as their quota, as their metrics. They look at their URMs. And at first I focused there, but then I started expanding it of like, hey, I want to help underrepresented, underestimated and underpaid individuals to accelerate their careers. And I help them get into the tech companies and the tech companies, like, as you guys are saying, the numbers are not there. You look at Salesforce, 3.4% of their employees are black. Google is like 4%. Facebook is like 4.1. They're all like really shitty, but they pay well. They treat their employees well. The benefits are good. And I think they do want to change. So I'm trying to help get the people, like help people empower them so that they can get in front of the right people at the right time so that and prepare them properly so they can get these great jobs that pay well. So anyway, long story short, Kadima was, I was like, I want to accelerate careers. I was speaking with a buddy of mine, David, he speaks Hebrew. And I was like, what, how do you say accelerate in Hebrew? And I forget what that word was. But he's like, Kadima means forward. And I was like, ooh, I like that. And so that's how I came up with it from my buddy Dave. And then I got the trademark on it because there was a beach game called Pro Kadima. And but I have it for the trademark for business services. That's a, all a great story. And, and again, applauding your efforts to really connect the dots, mm-hmm. create this opportunity, because this is what, again, I mean, we talk about sponsorship all the time. You're doing kind of a form of sponsorship where you're taking people, again, who are underrepresented, underestimated, underappreciated, underpaid, putting them in front of the right people, <laughs> taking them to the destination, right? And and showing them what needs to be done to get that opportunity. And you now you look at like where the, uh, the connection point you know, here is for secrets and Kadima, right? right? Like Mm -hmm. we're coaching people up, you know, telling them what, how to find their market value. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get their mouthpieces tight, you know, so they'll be ready for it. And then we hand you to someone like a Kadima to be able to give you additional opportunities, right? right? Right. This is what the community is based on right right. here. This is absolutely what it's it's about. And so as we wrap up here, kind of with our last question, I'm just curious. I mean, you mentioned you've talked a little bit about this, but really just diving one level down. Why do you care so much about providing opportunities for for people who don't look like you? I mean, at the end of the day, you have all the power, you have the privilege, you really have no incentive to be better. So why are you doing this? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I've just been, you know, I've traveled to different places. I've seen different neighborhoods. I've come to appreciate the privilege that I've been given for whether luck, blessing, fortune, what have you. I'm a white dude that was born in America in the 1970s. So if I was Jewish born where my ancestors, I am Jewish. If I was born where my ancestors were 40 or 50 years earlier, I would have been gassed in um, a chamber in Auschwitz or something like that. So I kind of feel that, you know what, I kind of got lucky here and I'm appreciative of everything that I've been given. And I've seen how I've been able to learn and grow because of connections that I've had when I went to Columbia Business School. My father-in-law knew a professor there 
And that professor who never met me wrote me a recommendation for Columbia because of that network. I also did well on my GMATs. I also did well on my essays. But I'm sure, and that professor's not there anymore, but I'm sure that that didn't hurt. And that was just a privilege because I was having dinner with my father-in-law, who's well-connected, who knows a professor at Columbia. And they're like, oh, let me do this favor for my son-in-law. And so stuff like that has happened to me all the time. It doesn't happen to everybody. And I just look at the world globally. And I know that sounds, ooh, so this guy's all on a soapbox or whatever. But there's 7.4 billion people in the world. I could have been any of them. And I got lucky. I got good parents. I got great wife. A lot of that came because of my zip code. A lot of your success comes to like whatever zip code you're in. And my parents' first zip code was 11565. And that's where I grew up. This is just an incredible, you know, story. And and we can talk to you forever. And I think that as I start to think through like what some of our listeners appreciate is we're not just talking, right? Like this is the part of the show when we start to kind of dig just a little bit deep and we start bringing some of those receipts. Okay. So today, you know, listeners, we're going to share receipts on representation in the tech industry. Okay. Mm -hmm. And again, not making this shit up. Okay. It is what it is. You can see why there's frustration, but you can also see why a lot of tech companies don't want us talking about this stuff <laughs> specifically. Right. So Keith, fine. why don't you hit us with that first receipt? Yeah, for sure. That, you know, and Alan talked about some of these as we were going, going through this, but according to research by uh, Beam Jobs, Hispanic, Latinx, and Black people are the most underrepresented in the tech industry relative to their representation in the U.S. While Hispanic and Latinx folks make up 18% of the U.S. population, they only account for 8% of employees in tech, while Black people make up 13% of the population and only 5% of employees in tech. And in fact, 67% of tech companies are made up of less than 5% of Black employees. So you're not even in the building. (laughs) If you're not in the building, you sure can't move up the ladder, right? Right, right, exactly. You don't have to worry about seeing what you can be. Right. (laughs) You're not even in there. You're not going to see yourself, right? right. So look, man, receipt number two, in that same study, nearly 100% of companies have an over-representation of white employees in leadership positions. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Okay. 94% of companies are underrepresented with Hispanic, Latinx employees in leadership positions. 82% underrepresented with Black employees in leadership positions, and 91% are underrepresented Asian employees in leadership positions. I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are. Again, we're not making this stuff up, so we're talking about woefully Mm -hmm. underrepresented. It's not just like by a little bit. We're talking like landslide. Here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that goes back to Alan's example where he had the female boss and the white dude, the yeah. white dude, the mm-hmm. white dude, the white dude. But if you change your LinkedIn, that's right. If you make a nice post and you say what you support, it can get lost in translation. Right. There. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Our third receipt, according to the U.S. Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, White people are represented at a higher rate in the tech sector's executive category than the rest of the private sector. Again, at 83%, more than 15% higher than their representation in other professional categories. So again, the higher it up, higher it go up, mm-hmm. you know, wider it gets. And other groups are represented at significantly lower rates in the executive ranks than in the professionals, including African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asian-Americans, 
all at probably two to two to one ratios. Jeez, I mean, this is so frustrating. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're reading the stuff, man. It's so frustrating. Look, we've worked in tech, you mm-hmm. know, and so when we start talking about the purple unicorn, you know, and oh, you work in tech and you're in a senior a C-suite or a yeah. senior level position. It's not that hard to see why you are the only. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like the only. And there is no extraordinary efforts to make you not be the only. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that's why our eyes popped out of our head when we saw each other in a room together. (laughs) What the hell is this? Hey, and he don't have a broom or a mop in his hand. That's right. Wait a second. (laughs) You know what I mean? Look, receipt number four. According to the 2020 People of Color in Tech report, Black, Latinx, and Native tech professionals make up less than 5% of the workforce at major tech companies. And only 21% of tech professionals report that their company's leadership teams are more than a quarter POC. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to imagine that this looks, this is probably true from your experience. Oh, definitely. Like they had 40 VPs and only one was Black. of VP pluses were black. So that's a decent sample set. And I hope that 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 one black uh, individual wasn't like the VP of diversity. Diversity, That would be worse. But they made a promise to increase that by triple. And the next two hires, diversity and HR. That's where the next two were. The, The first one was product management. The next two were right there. And they brought those two out everywhere. I get it. I get it. The parade started. The parade. That's right. And our last receipt. And in case you're wondering why tech companies aren't moving the needle, just check out this receipt also from the People of Color Report. Tech CEOs and founders are very divided on the effectiveness of diversity and inclusion efforts more than any other position in the company. Across all job titles and levels, they are the least likely to believe diversity and inclusion initiatives to be effective. Only 51% of them see um, diversity and inclusion efforts as effective versus 62% of everybody else. So you wonder why shit don't change. You know, all of this stuff is driven from the top. And if the top don't believe it's going to be effective or they're not being measured or held accountable for it, it ain't going to work. Man. So, look, again, we've been hitting with these receipts, these receipts, and we just picked out five. Right. Yeah. yeah, And it's a whole bunch. We could have just did a whole episode just on receipts and then drop the mic right right there. Stop the recording. Right. Let's go into solution mode a little bit here. Right. So, like, let's talk about the secrets. Yeah, Alan has been spilling the tea today a little bit, and we're going to let him uh, continue with some of that, uh, some of those gems. So we'll keep the secret simple. So, Alan, what can BIPOC and female employees do to be ready for a job in tech? Great question. So there's six steps that I've kind of honed through my years of experience. Uh, what I call their JAM framework, the Kadima JAM framework, it stands for Job Acquisition Method. First phase is like identify your goals, define your goals, including creating a target list of companies where you want to work at. You need to like refine those goals. Number two is play the cards that you're dealt. And some people are good at analytics. Some people are good at customer success. Some people, like if you are black, use that card to leverage yourself. All these companies are saying that they want to hire black individuals Make sure that they know you're black. I get a lot of responses from Jews. Like a random Gottlieb will reply to me a lot quicker than a random Wilson. So play the cards that you're dealt and leverage them. Number three 
is build relationships. 24 out of my 29 jobs came through networking. You need to increase your surface area of luck. Build relationships. There's lots of nice people out there. Number four is you need to do the work. You need to search and apply for the right roles at the right times. People are looking in the wrong places, the wrong times. Go right to the company job board that you want to apply for. Look at it every week. See what roles are new. That's what you need to do. Don't get distracted on LinkedIn and Indeed and Glassdoor. You will not see the freshest stuff. Number five, you got to interview with confidence. And the way you do that is you prepare for the interview. You do your homework. You have a few questions. You anticipate what they're going to come to you with. Then you interview confidently. You get feedback on that, either through mock interviews or what I tell my customers to do. Record the interview and listen to it later and listen to how you did but you got to interview confidently and then follow up with a nice thank you. And then six, negotiate for more. The first offer is not the last offer. And guess who's going to get a lower offer? A white dude who's well-connected with everybody at Google or a black woman who doesn't really know anyone at Google. So when that offer comes out for the same person at the same level, who do you think is going to get the higher offer? And who do you think is more likely to negotiate on that? Both answers are the white dude. So you can negotiate for more, you deserve more, and there are ways to get more. I get excited about this because this is what we do. This is about really like giving people a look under the hood. This is about generational wealth. I mean, we're talking about some of these things at the end of the day, money, position, title, all of these things equal generational wealth, right? So, so again, we appreciate, you know, this, but I want to just go just a little bit deeper. Once our people secure that job in tech, what can they do to survive and thrive? Because we always talk about the hardest part is actually not getting the job. The hardest part is keeping the damn thing. <laughs> you know, so what can people do to survive and thrive in tech? Great question. And it's specifically harder for people that are black because they go into the company and they look around and 96% of people do not look like them. So it's harder to find your tribe or people that you can build trust with. But here's what you can do. First off, pick up the book the first 90 days. It's a good book. You don't need to follow everything, but that book, and I forget the author's name. I can actually, here it is right here. It's by uh, Michael Watkins. That's a great book. So you got to hit the ground well, you got to prepare, you got to demonstrate that you're kicking ass in the role. That's the first thing. Second thing is start to build a network. It could be through the employee resource groups. Like when I was at Salesforce, I had Bold Force for Black individuals. At Google, it was BGN, Black Google Network. Facebook had something too. I was part of all those as well. There was Aladdin one and others, but join the ERG, get involved in that. But don't just rely on the ERG. Third is begin to build out a network within your team and with cross-functional stakeholders. And then you'll start to find some people that could potentially be a mentor. And you can ask for mentorship at some point. And number four is they have formal mentor programs as well. But there's usually a dearth of talent up top and a surplus of individuals at the lower levels that are looking for the mentorship. So if you can proactively do it in step three, you're, you'll be even better off. This is awesome. You know, sometimes people think Rick and I be bullshitting. But <laughs> yeah, I felt like we we're ventriloquists right there. <laughs> For some of that advice. And we did not 
prime or prep Alan on what to say. Like, this is why we should have been recording that first damn conversation, okay? Like, when I'm telling you, the the behind-the-scenes stuff is ridiculous. So to be able to put this in a package where we could give it to you, you know, is just remarkable. Yeah, and again, this has been some gems today. Alan's been dropping more science about the science, about the tech industry (laughs) and what's been going on out there. And so just one final question, Alan, you gave those secrets, but any other secrets, any other things come to mind in terms of advice that you would have for, for our community in terms of, you know, navigating the tech industry? Yeah, here's some advice. The first week that a job is opened, 100 resumes will come in. The second job that that job is open, about 300 resumes will come in. At that point, recruiting is going to look at those 300 resumes. They'll look at referrals. And if you're not in the referrals and you're not in those first 300 resumes, you're shit out of luck. So that's why you need to hone your focus on the companies that you want to work at. And then you need to monitor those boards or put web alerts on or something like that so that you know if a role is open at Meta and you know if a role is open at Spotify and you know if a role is open at Twilio. You don't need that daily. Just once a week, go back to the page, see what's fresh. And once it's fresh, you hop on that. And ideally, you leverage your network. You get a booster or an advocate within the company to say, hey, Ricky, I see that this role just opened up here at Spotify and say you were working at Spotify. Do you know anything about the role? And then see if you can get Ricky to put in a recommendation for you. That's the best. But the second best is get your resume in there quickly. And if you're someone of color, make them aware in a subtle way with just like a link to your LinkedIn photo or to say something on your resume that you're part of the Divine Nine or went to a historically Black college and university or you're involved there. Make them aware that you are Black because they are looking for the talent. They're not looking the right place and they're not looking very hard. So make it really easy for them to really consider you. This is outstanding (laughs) and I just want to make sure that our listeners know this is probably going to be one of those two, three listen, you know, uh, episodes right. where because he was kicking some shit in here that you could like yes. miss. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like and it's like this is real. And we will absolutely figure out how to get my man back on this show, yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah. we can uh, do 2.0, you know, here. Right. But you can find more resources on the secrets and the receipts that we shared today by going to our website, secrets.com and looking in the show notes for this episode as well. So Alan, we're just happy, okay? Because, I mean, you gave up a whole bunch of information. I mean, me and Keith were over here writing shit down ourselves. I'm going to have to use some of this for myself. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. (laughs) So Alan, again, thanks thanks for bringing the heat today and being on the show. We really appreciated you being with us today. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you inviting me here. And I'm a competitive dude. So I want this to be your most downloaded, most listened to episode. So any way that I can help you get to that, I'm here to partner with you. But I'm a competitive bastard. So I think this might be episode 61 or depending on when you release it. But I want this to be number one. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm sure it will. Trust me. Yeah. Anytime it's about getting that bread, you know, get like getting the secrets, like that's why we call it this. It'll definitely be there. So look, we really appreciate you being a supporter of secrets and more importantly, being a part of our village. I also want to give a very gracious, gracious, gracious shout out to all our listeners and fans out there, because you all continue to stand up and support us with absolute open arms. And without you, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. But lastly, 
I want to say, please be sure to write a review on Apple or buy some of that merchandise. In fact, take a picture with you uh, in that gear, post it on LinkedIn, Facebook, on Instagram, tag us. You know, we want to make sure that, you know, we keep inspiring some of this gear based off of what you all want to see, you know, as well. There may be a little gift coming your way if you do one of those posts and yeah, tag us, right? right? And although, you know, Ricky and I, we have a lot of fun. You can see we have a lot of fun. We have some great guests on here. At the end of the day, we're still about getting you that paper, getting you that coin, because this is all about adding and not subtracting. Yeah. Uh, all about yeah. accelerating and moving forward, <laughs> right, at the end of the day. And so, again, we'll connect you with Alan if you're interested in a career in tech. And we'll just help you get what you're worth, regardless of what industry that you're in. So check out our coaching services. Reach out to us. We are here to help you. And, you know, since we started Secrets 18 months ago, we've been able to get people over $1.2 million in total compensation increases since we launched Secrets. So we're going to keep building that thing. And our website, we're going to be tracking that. Talk about track the data. We're going to be tracking that coin that we're adding to your pocketbook. Absolutely. (laughs) And look, we want to thank our newest brother and friend of the family here, Alan, for breaking bread with us in such an authentic way. I mean, this is exactly what we do. We understand why a lot of corporate America doesn't want us talking about this stuff, but we don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) We can keep doing it, right? So we're going to raise our cups for Alan for keeping it real and supporting us in this struggle. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to The Secrets. And just remember, when we share, you transform. Take care, everybody. Peace. listening and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from kp and pr in fact one listener said that secrets continues to share the inside story on how to truly accomplish your corporate ambitions and we hope you agree if you are motivated and excited after listening to keith and ricky please subscribe to our podcast share with friends donate via patreon and sign up for our executive coaching services Check us out at www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when they share, you transform. Until next time, cheers.